Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness. 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 Foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Well, guys, what is going on? This is Brian Sumner. Welcome to this episode of the Foolishness Podcast. Hope everyone is amazing. Thank you for tuning in. There's so many messages I'm getting as these episodes keep getting shared. Hopefully, they are encouraging you. You're hearing about Jesus Christ. We are all moving forward in this together. Guys, go over to my Instagram. Just Brian Sumner. Message me. There's stuff going on. I get most of those messages and love interacting and praying for you. Today, we're jumping into something that to me is amazing, amazing because it's the word of God. I got asked to speak at a friend's church here in Newport Beach, Pastor Brian Darrow, who was on a few episodes ago, and I was jumping into Act 17. Why do I say this is amazing? Because right there in the text, God has given us everything we need, along with the power of the Holy Spirit to live out our lives, our calls, our purposes. In Acts 17, we see some amazing things from the Apostle Paul that he does very practically, and people come to faith. And in a world today where the gospel is being shaken so many ways, everyone has so many ideas, let's just keep the main thing the main thing. So as we jump into this, I'm preaching to a couple hundred people and beautiful church down the street, but we're in Acts 17. It will encourage, get your notepads out, and consider how do we live this out Talk to you guys in a sec. Here we go. What's that? Well, they can't understand what I'm saying because they still think I have an accent. We know that's not true. All right, you guys, let's pray. Let's pray, guys. God, you are so good, and the world is so radical. And God, you are so faithful that we'd be reminded today of where we stand and where we live, what has taken place. And there's so many people struggling with every kind of thing, but Lord, what they all need, what we all need is the gospel, is your love, your grace, your mercy. Yeah, God, that we will continually as a church, as a people, bear that fruit of the Spirit. Just been speaking that lately, Lord, that we're kind, we're good, we're gentle, God. We have self-control, but Lord, we are bold for your word because it is what brings life. Uh, We thank you for the W, for Pastor Brian, God, for the hands and feet even here today. Lord, we know that you are going to speak because we are unpacking your word. And so in Jesus' name we pray and say, Amen. amen. Guys, if you have your Bibles, go over to Acts 17. I am excited to jump into this. I know it's been some time. I normally get in once or twice a year. I've been texting with Pastor Brian. We, he loves to just take me out for sushi, even though he thinks he says it's bad for his stomach, right? We always have sushi every few months, and he's told me of the good things God has been doing here, so I'm excited. But we're going to jump right into Acts, Acts 17, and why this book's amazing is I'm kind of an evangelist where the Lord always has me going, sharing with unbelievers. And in these passages, there's just so much evangelism. You see so many practical things that the Apostle Paul does and Silas that we can glean a lot from this. And so what's taking place here? Luke, the physician, is speaking to us. He's been writing to us about through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts really is the acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit through believers. And as we get into this, we need to be reminded that Jesus, in remembrance in Acts 1.8, is reminding, telling us of what we need as we live out this life. 
He says in Acts 1.8, as you know, you will receive power. You and I as believers will receive this power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us and we can go and live this life as witnesses unto him. The church was birthed in Acts 2, we see it, but they needed to wait for this power and this power would show up so they could fulfill their mission, which is still being fulfilled, amen, as they go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We see that unfold in Acts 2 and they began to go and it took place for thousands of years. It made it over the Caucasus Mountains. It made it to Liverpool where I'm from. It made it to California to all of us and that mission is still continuing and will do so even till the end. Amen. I say this because where we go today is Paul's journey. Paul walking in this power, demonstrating this power over and over and I do want to throw back a bit to last week if you're not caught up. He gets this vision from someone in Macedonia. We need you to come preach. And so they cross the Aegean Sea. They make it over here to Macedonia, to Philippi. And God begins to boast and show off. What did you guys see last week? That a woman called Lydia came to faith. That a woman who was demonized, was doing all kinds of craziness. Paul rebuked her, called that spirit out. That right there before him, that those in charge of her led these men before the magistrates and they were put in prison. And what did Paul and Silas do in prison? They sang and they praised and worshiped. And there was a mighty earthquake and the chains rattled and the doors busted open and they were standing there free. And the jailer freaked out. Remember that guy, I'm gonna be killed, I'm gonna be slain. They witnessed to him. He came to faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. They were put before the magistrates. They're gonna be kicked out of the city and we pick up today where they are continuing this journey. Acts 17, are you ready? Amen. Acts 17 and 1, and we'll read through and we'll unpack it. And like I said, this is very teachy, but there's some amazing stuff in here. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking with them some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men have turned the world upside down, who have come here also. Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Verse 10 says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and staring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. 
but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Simple. As I talk about the Holy Spirit, his power, what he does in our lives, he's not a thing or an it, he is a person. And he's leading Paul, and what we see here is they're leading Philippi to Thessalonica. A three-day journey, a hundred miles, and no, they didn't have bikes, didn't have skateboards, didn't have cars, they literally walked here. Amen? Why this is radical is it says, they came to Thessalonica and they entered the synagogue of the Jews. What we can kind of learn from this is that they went to two other towns on the way, but Paul didn't stop there. Me as an evangelist thinking they should stop and greet everyone, reach everyone, amen. But in that day and age, as the Spirit was going out, Thessalonica had 200,000 people. And so seeing how God worked, he moved in this area. And we read in history that many new disciples went back to these two towns, amen. It said Paul went in and reasoned in the what? The synagogue. Lay a bit of a foundation, but in that day and age, whenever there was 10 Jewish men, you would have a synagogue. Paul would go to the synagogue first and foremost. Why? It says this in Romans 1.16. You know this verse. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. To the Jew first and then to the Greek. We hear that and we understand the Scriptures came through the Jews, but if you think about Jesus' ministry, for the first three and a half years, it was to the Jews. Specifically, He said, go only to the lost sheep of Israel many times. But once He had died and resurrected, He said, now go into what? All the world. God was coming to the Jews to speak. The Holy Spirit would convict. Even on the day of Pentecost, many believe that prophecy of Joel, that in the last days a spirit will be poured out, was a conviction against the Jews. So what was Paul doing? If we were the Jews in that day, we have the scroll, we have the scriptures. Paul is coming into the synagogue to open up our text, to unpack the truth to them. Why this is amazing is because Paul is preaching to the Jews with the Jewish scriptures, but who else would be in our synagogue? The Greeks, the God-fearers. Many people who didn't believe what we, if we were Jews, would believe, but they honored them in some way. They had reverence. They wanted to hear. They didn't have Netflix and chill back in the day, so on a Saturday, on a Sabbath, where did they go? To the synagogue. They were showing up to hear this man of God, so why I'm saying this is, He's preaching both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. I love what verse 2 says, and this will preach. It said that Paul went into the synagogue as was his what? Custom. Paul went into the synagogue as was his custom. Brian showed up and he always speaks with an accent. You go somewhere and you always get this kind of food or you always relax in this kind of couch or you always do this. Paul's custom was... He got somewhere and he went into the synagogue and he began to preach. Why did I say this can minister to us? Because this was his identity. This was his disposition. This is what he was known for. And for us, we should ask ourselves regularly, what is my custom? What am I defined by? Where is my focus? What do I sacrifice to? Because I hear this guy and yes, He doesn't have a wife that we know of. He doesn't have multiple kids. He doesn't run all these business. So he's cause, he's super zealous being sent by Jesus. Amen. But for me, Lord, what is my custom? In this time right now in our history, how loving am I? How much fruit of the Spirit am I seeing? What are the things that are pulling the strings in my life? Amen. 
Yes, this is the Bible, but guys, we are still living out the Bible. Though we aren't reading the text about us, the gospel is still going forth through us. So as he talks about this, and we can learn a lot right here, I promise you, about evangelism. Three things I want you to see that God sovereignly put in here. It says, he went into the synagogue, and the first thing he did was he reasoned. First thing he did was he reasoned. That means he had open dialogue, open discussion. He didn't just yell, didn't just put on blast. He reasoned with them. Even the Greeks who went to the synagogue knew enough about the text, knew enough about the Scriptures, had enough questions. And so who was Paul? He's a Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, a Pharisee. He would have loved sitting here with us as Gentiles 2,000 years ago and unpacking the Scriptures. But reasons means he engaged us. He allowed you to ask questions. You brought up certain things and he would engage you where you are. Why is this amazing? Because I am for every kind of evangelism. Sometimes a pastor's blind spot will, he'll write off street evangelism or he'll write off this kind of thing or he'll write off that kind of thing. I believe God can use it all because the Bible says become all things to all men that we may win some, amen? But one of the things you've got to be aware of in this is that reasoning means as an interaction. I'm going to the pier to interact. I'm going to wherever I'm going, to the gym or to the business or wherever the beach, to interact with people. Why is this relevant? Because we don't just see Jesus shouting off things, standing on the street corner, having a problem. Yes, the religious leaders who thought they knew, who were oppressing his people, of whom he said, they were like sheep without a shepherd. He was blasting them because they did not know what they were doing. But for everyone else, where did he meet them? The woman at the well, he met her where she was. The centurion guy who approached him. We see this with so many people, blind Bartimaeus, tax collectors, the woman caught in the act. And why I say this is, you go down to the pier in Huntington, most Tuesdays, Wednesdays, maybe to Newport Pier Thursday, Friday. You might see a gentleman about 55, 60 with his wife and his few kids, and he has this simple ministry. Simple ministry. And he almost looks like a librarian. He's just in there. He's just coasting through. He's hanging out. He's the most timid, humble, but bold man. And what does he do? He just has chocolate and candy and all these things from Costco. Amen? He has a wheel that he spins as a load of verses on. And people walk up, curious, on their night walk and say, what are you doing? And he says, oh, if you spin the wheel, whatever verse you land on, I want to talk to you about it. And when we're done, I'll give you some candy. I mean, kind of blackmail bribery. Amen? <laughs> But I'll tell you, we go down there, my friend Justin will be in town, you know, with likewise all these worship leaders, and he'll just say, hey, we're going to go to the pier tonight and worship, you know, 30 worship leaders just singing music. That's a ministry in itself. But as I hang out with this guy, I tell you, daily people come to faith. Daily people encounter. Do you know why? Because he reasons with them. He engages with them. I'll tell you, juxtaposed to this, is that I was down here a couple of years ago, and I'm not bringing this up because of the whole row of aid thing, amen? Promise you. But years ago, walking down there with my dad, one of my sisters, who's not a believer, my kids were small, and there was two families out on the pier with giant printouts of fetuses and child this and child that, and as you were walking by to eat rubies, it was so big and so zealous, I couldn't even go near them because my kids were so young, I wasn't ready for them to see that. And the things they were saying, the things they were shouting about murder and this and that, and I don't want to go there today because we know what the Word of God says, amen? But I couldn't even approach them. My kids would have been scarred for life at five or six seeing that. 
You think about the Westboro Baptist years ago, you remember that? They would go to the graves of dead soldiers and just damn them. What I'm saying is, the Apostle Paul reasoned with people. Most people out there know why they're not in here. Most people know why they don't want to follow God. Most people know all these things. And what that means is, first thing is we should be able to reason with people. And it says reason with them from where? The Scriptures. It's the Scriptures. When you do engage that person, when they do have questions, when they do ask all these different things, they're going to have all kinds of opinions, all kinds of ideas. What are you going to tell them to win them to the Lord? Which only the Holy Spirit can do anyway. Amen? The Scriptures. As we sit with people, here's the danger. They might say things, yes, but I don't believe this. I don't believe that. I don't want to hear this. Of course not. But the Scripture, that's how Paul reasoned. The crazy uncle, you know, Thanksgiving, he's blowing everyone's mind and saying all these things, conspiracy this, conspiracy that. And I love conspiracies, amen? <laughs> There's just not many left anymore. Don't come following me down, writing me on Instagram. Hey, I, I will answer you. You got some good conspiracies? Send them my way. I will tell you this, when you go to a skate park and minister to the next generation, they love conspiracies. You want to talk about the Illuminati and Nephilim and the end times and all that's going to Hollywood? They love it. And you're 50 minutes in deep and they're all looking at you like, no way. And then you just bring in the gospel. So you believe there's this much evil? Well, who is good? Amen. I'm saying this to say that they reason, but here's the reality. You're going to encounter people that have opinions and ideas. And here's the dangerous thing about our world today. People are celebrated for having opinions and ideas. As long as you think something and you're passionate, it must be true. No. When we reason, it is the Word of God. When we reason, we speak the truth, even well-intended people. Growing up, my mother, I would say, wasn't a believer. She came to faith before she passed away. Amen? But in England, we kind of have these couple terms that I hear in English films. I hear English actors or musicians say. And it's things like this. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Amen? The Bible does say his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. But I would just say this forever. I was just saying this my whole life. The Lord works in mysterious ways. So when you said, well, do all roads lead to God? Are there many religions? Do they all get us to heaven? Well, I guess God leads in mysterious ways so it could happen. Or this famous one. I grew up, my mom saying this so much. God loves a trier. That's encouraging, right? Tell your kid, you know, he doesn't want to play baseball. He's freaked out that day. God loves a trier. Guys, I'm, I'm scared to preach tonight. God loves a trier. And I would think this when I'm skating, I'm going to jump on this handrail. God loves a trier. I wasn't a believer. I was just repeating whatever my mom said. Years later, being sponsored, living in America, in a house with a bunch of my 16, 17-year-old friends who all partied and got drank and got stoned like you wouldn't imagine. I never did. I wasn't a citizen. I remember one night, just one of them saying, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And I said, I don't want to. And you know what he said? But God loves a trier. <laughs> While that is silly, right? It's true. That's how weak my thinking was, how weak my thought is all based on options and whatever. And so what is Paul doing? He's letting you say things. He's reasoning with you, but he's going into the Scriptures. And how do we know that? Because the second thing it says is he explained. He reasoned with you, but he explained. Explaining means you open the text, you open the verse, you unpack what God says is true. I am explaining today. I am using the text today. That's what teaching is. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, God gave as gifts to the church. The apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, what? Evangelist. So these are given to the church to help equip us. So as a teacher teaches, it equips the saints. And even Timothy, when he was going through hard things, 
Paul wrote to him, 1 Timothy 4, 13 to 14, and said, Timothy, till I arrive, till I can meet you, I want you to give attention to three simple things. Give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Paul reasoned with people. He exhorted the text. And the third thing he did was he proved. It says he reasoned with them in the synagogue, reasoning, explaining, and proving. What was it, Lord? That it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. We should be sitting here thinking, wait, they were in the synagogue and a Pharisee was teaching the Jews, proving to the Jews why it was relevant for Jesus to raise from the grave. It sounds so crazy because they're God's people. Hundreds of years of scriptures, even thousands of years. They're the ones who know the history of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, and Elijah. They're familiar with all of this, but the reality is they liked some of the verses they heard, but they didn't receive some of the other ones, amen? They liked some of the scriptures we hear, amen? We don't like the other ones. Anyone with me? You hear what I'm talking to us, amen? I'm saying that to say the Israelites, the nation of Israel, they didn't know how to receive this idea of a a suffering Messiah. I might hear verses in Ephesians 5 about my wife. I'm like, babe, this is so good. And as soon as it's about the man dying to self be the covering, I don't like that verse. I might hear verses about the nation and the country, but as soon as it's about humility, I don't like that verse. While I'm stepping on our toes and joking and making it silly, amen? What Paul is doing here is he's unpacking to them this idea of a suffering Messiah. He was gathered somewhere thousands of years ago and he was proving to them what the text says, even though they knew the verses. How could they not have seen who Jesus was? It's so easy looking back. They must have seen this. I mean, what verse can you think of? Isaiah what? 53. You take Isaiah 52 to 53. Hey, the Messiah's gonna die. We don't believe that. Well, listen. Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised and rejected by men. They weren't expecting this guy to show up. They wanted a world leader who was brilliant, amazing, understand all these things. He was a man of sorrows, man acquainted with grief, from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and they esteemed him not. This is Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. 700 years before there was even crosses to be crucified on, we read this from the prophet. This is why it says he proved to them that it was necessary for Christ to suffer. Isaiah goes on, he was crushed for our iniquities. That's you and me, church. Upon Jesus, we can say, was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds, we are healed, and all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's me guilty, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Was that necessary to prove this to them? Yes. Why am I reading this verse? Because that's what Paul did. He would have gathered there with the Jews, with the Gentiles, the God-fearers, and unpacked this. And guys, if I'm honest, one of the main verses in Scripture, crazily, that kind of led me to the faith was that famous passage in Daniel 9. Daniel 9 and the 70 weeks, and when I came to faith, many of you remember Chuck Missler, amen? End times, Daniel prophecy. I mean, in that verse, I remember being on a plane next to a doctor, and I was almost a believer, wasn't born again, didn't understand, and this was the verse I brought up. I wasn't a believer, nor was he, and I was trying to prove to him that Jesus was the Messiah, and I was asking him to read this verse with me and tell me what he thinks it means, and it simply says, Daniel 9, 26, after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. 
Hundreds of years before Jesus showed up, he will be cut off, karat, being die, an anointed one. A Messiah, a Savior, someone will die. And sadly, I say this to provoke us, just as the Jews missed this in that day, can I tell you that there's many today who gather in churches that are missing this, and you say, what do I mean? Today, the popular trending thing is, don't bring up people's guilt. Don't bring up people's sin. Don't bring up where they might be. If you bring up these verses like Isaiah 53 and other verses about a suffering servant and someone asks you in church, why did Jesus have to die? You have to let them know it's because of my sin. It's because of your sin. Amen. But when you tell a person that, well, why, why would God do that? Because he loves you. Because of his grace. Because of his mercy. Because he offers you forgiveness. Amen. That is the good news. That is the gospel. It is not bad news. I say that because Paul's whole ministry is simple. Christ and Christ what? Crucified. It's simple. Towns are going upside down. The world's being shaken. That's all he's preaching. And guys, even the last few years, we've seen some of these amazing churches and men and women that I celebrated and great things. And you see the podcast of how their ministry collapsed. You see the churches globally were trying to be so big and have this much control. And why did they collapse? Because Christ wasn't the main thing. He was there, but it was about becoming a superpower. It was about one man or one woman having all the power. What was Paul preaching? Christ and Christ crucified. He didn't need a massive team. Massive teams are great. If we can use that, use it. He showed up and he just preached truth and it was shaken spiritually. People came to faith. Here's what it says in verse four, I love this. And some, meaning however many of them, were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, that's the God-fears, and not a few of the leading women. Paul simply preached, and some who were already part of the congregation, the Jews, were persuaded, as were devout Greeks, and not a few of the women. What does this mean, that the word of God went out and didn't return what? By all accounts, there was fruit. People came to faith. The gospel was shared. And you'd think in the synagogue, wow, this is amazing. People are turning to the faith. Even the Jews, the rabbis should be excited. But what does verse 5 says? But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, it gets funny here, they formed a mob and set the city in uproar. Paul just witnessed to us, and many of you responded to following Paul, but the leaders in that church lost their mind in the synagogue, and they went and formed the mob and started a riot. If you're a King James only version, it says, taking some wicked men of the rabble, but your King James version, I love this, says, certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. They went and found certain lewd fellows of the baser sort to come in and attack the preacher. Like, what is this? Like, like the bounty hunters are, the Mandalorian? Is this one of those crazy movies where you get a bunch of bikers or people that come in and get rowdy? Why this is crazy is because when the gospel goes out, the enemy is stirred up. Jesus said radical things to the leaders of that day. You are children of your father, the devil. Even Peter living in opposition of Jesus, I will never let you be taken, we could say. What did he say? Get behind me. If you want to live out your life just simply saying, how do I draw near to God? He's done it all. How do I stay focused on what he has for me? Let his word lead you. Even the whole chaos of this weekend, what is it that the Lord says on these matters? But the Jews were jealous. They formed a mob. And here's why it's amazing, is that whenever the gospel is preached, two things happen. People receive it or they don't. 
They believe it or their hearts begin to deceive and lie. If you were sitting here an unbeliever, you would be rejecting certain truths that I'm preaching or God is drawing you near. The Bible says some plants, some water, but who gives the increase? God. God's the one who does all of this, and this is nothing new. There's a mob, there's some whatever you want to say, ungodly fellows, but Paul was used to this. There was riots in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Philippi. And here's what I love is that this only took three weeks. Three Sabbaths was all it took for Paul to preach and the church was birthed. And you say, well, Brian, was there any fruit? This is Thessalonica. Paul went in there, there was a riot, he preached. We know there was a fruit because how many letters did he write back to this area? Two. First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. He just showed up and preached for three weeks and so it says, they formed a mob, set the city in uproar, and they attacked the home of Jason, whoever Jason is, sorry, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason, sorry again, and some of the brothers before the authorities, shouting, these men have turned the world upside down, have come here also. It's crazy. These men have turned the world upside down, have they? Have they turned the world upside down or did they turn the world right side up? If you check in Genesis, Genesis tells us the world has already been flipped. Everything they were doing is exactly what we should expect to be happening. The Bible says in Romans that all creation cries out for the revealing of the sons of God. This whole thing this weekend, that's creation crying out. The attacks around the world, the wars, it's creation crying out. These men are saying they're flipping the world inside out. Isn't that what we pray for? Lord, on earth as it is in heaven, let your will be done. This is the normal life. All that guy did was show up on a preaching tour, went into some places, gave the most basic principles. Of course, he unpacked the scriptures like I don't know that anyone could to this day. The day and age he lived really understanding all these things. Amen. We've got exactly what God gives for us. And he's being accused of flipping the world upside down. What do you think Paul thought when he heard this? Oh man, people are getting mad. Silas, maybe we should change our evangelism plan. Maybe we shouldn't mention Jesus and that cross stuff. I mean, it's getting dark. I mean, someone tried to swing at me in church today. Is that what you think they thought or no? No. They stood on earth as it is in heaven because Paul's proclamation is changing the atmosphere. Eyes will open, ears will hear, hearts will be changed only by the preaching of the what? Gospel. And as they're accusing them in verse 7, it says, And Jason has received them, and they are all acting out against Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. They couldn't condemn them for the gospel, even though they were trying to. So they said, these men are in our synagogue. They're in the W church. They're in our homes. And they're preaching against Caesar. They're preaching a lie. This isn't true. They were preaching about the one and only king, King Jesus. Amen. What did Pontius Pilate put on the cross? King of the Jews. When I hear this verse, some of you are thinking, man, this is crazy. But let me ask you, do you believe this is a foreshadow? Is this not a foreshadow that you could live in a world where if you don't bow down to the world and its system, you could be put to death? Is there not going to be people on the earth who do not bow down to a certain king, but only King Jesus will lose their lives? In Daniel's day, that was forced upon them. We see it right here. And you say, well, Brian, what do you mean? A world leader, a system, a thing that will unfold. Yes, 70 AD, there's a foreshadow, but I believe these things are all future. 
I mean, when I read Revelation 13, 15 to 7, listen to this. This false prophet, this beast system. It says, and it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be what? Slain. If you don't bow down to Caesar, because that's why they were freaking out. If you're telling us an issue with Caesar, Caesar will show up with the cavalry, shoot, shoot, shoot everything down and cut heads off and it's all going to be bad. That's what the fear was. In Revelation, it tells us that this will take place on the earth for whoever's present. If you don't bow down to that king, bow down to that system, it says people will be slain and it causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be marked on the right hand, on the forehead, so that no one can buy and sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast and the number of its name. And I know what Pastor Brian preaches here, so if you're post-mill, it's going to get way better. Amen. I joke when I come here, where am I in the tribulation? I am pan-trib, amen? It's all going to pan out as God planned. <laughs> Bible says we know in part, and I rest in his grace and mercy. But in Revelation 20 and 4, I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who were beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on the foreheads of their hands. What do I take from this? Guys, we live in a world that actually is pretty straightforward. You can pretty much manage your lives. We're fortunate enough to live in a time where we are the, probably the wealthiest people in history that have maybe ever lived. Amen. You can go to eat where you want after, you can drink what you want after, you can go to the beach, you can do this, you can generally choose a career. So how do I approach the government? I do everything I need to just to operate, but what I don't do is bow down to the things of this world that live in opposition of God's truth, amen? I won't compromise the word, I don't compromise this, I won't compromise that, so we simply stand, and what does it say? It says that they wanted to destroy these men in a sense, the capture to be done with them, and it says in verse nine, that when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Meaning this is just a bond. They were gonna capture Paul and Silas and this Jason guy, so I'm gonna give you a bunch of money and then they're good to go, they're free. It says this in verse 10, so once they're set free, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. I mean, here we go. He's kicked out of one town, goes synagogue, kicked out. Next town goes synagogue, kicked out. And now they get to Berea and they go 50 miles from Thessalonica. Paul's ministry is simply coast to coast to coast, ministering, proclaiming the same thing happening over and over. But when he gets there, we hear these amazing things. As he goes into this synagogue, it says in verse 11, there were Jews who were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things that Paul was preaching were true. I love that it says all eagerness. They were excited to hear. Do you ever get around people who just want to be in the word of God? They just have to be in the word of God. They don't just open it. They have to be in the word of God. I got to boast on some of you guys and just encourage you. I was away this past week at a youth camp in Virginia. I was there for five or six days. They had me preach seven times, 35 to 40 minute sermons that we got deep in the text, amen? 300 kids. I would preach in the morning, in the night, and when I was done, I promise you, at least 10 to 15 kids every time would come up to me and they would have a list of questions. 
Kids who said, I read the whole of Revelation last night. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? We preached on the gospel. We preached on aisles. We preached on end times. We preached on every single thing. And I say that because this is what we should hunger for. Man, they're going through puberty. I'll tell you this, it was scary. The nurse told me they had a 90% increase in those kids coming to camp in the medication they were on. The last few years, the bags of medication those kids bring and give to the woman in charge, there was a 90% increase. So facing puberty, facing their issues, I'll tell you, they were flip-flopping back and forth. Well, my name's this, and now it's this, and I'm this, and I'm that. They were facing so many things, but what is the anchor? That they sat and heard so much so that two or three days in, I would be getting messages from the parents talking to me about the things the kids were telling them they were already hearing. There was a hunger for the Word of God. What does that mean? Is that you find someone that struggles with things in this world. When we get anxious, we get stressed, and we get wherever, where do we go? To the Word of God. I'm not anxious because of anxiety. I'm not stressed because of stressed. I'm stressed because something's going on. There's something happening. What is it that's a word is a lamp unto my feet? It's the Bible, amen. It's sitting in this. And I remember a guy one time talking about this. There was a guy in his church just going through hell, and he says, why don't you get into the Word of God? And he goes, I barely have time to do anything. He said, do you have time to eat? And I never really heard this. He said, yeah, I, I have time to eat. And he said, well, listen to what Job says, Job 23, 12. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Am I saying starve yourself, be like a monk? No, but Job realizes the state of his life and the world in that time. I need the word of God over everything. I need the word of God to sustain all these things. And here's the radical thing about this, is these Bereans were so excited to hear Paul's teaching. I mean, this is Paul preaching to them, the very apostle who gave us 13, maybe 14 books of the New Testament. But how serious about they by what they heard? They tested everything he said. They would have known he walked with Jesus. They would have known about his journey on the road to Damascus. They would have known the radical things he'd seen, spending time out in the wilderness. Yet every single thing he says, the word says they tested to see if these things were so. If we pick our preachers and teachers because of their eloquence or their good looks or their status or the whatever, that is not a good thing, amen? You think the Apostle Paul would have got invited to all the big conferences? You think he had the cool hair and the perfect figure and all the rest? No, he was beaten. He would have probably had messed up teeth. Probably would have stumbled in the back. What did he have? The gospel and the power of God. Hey, there was nothing impressive when he showed up. Hey, who's that guy in the back? Well, that's Paul, okay. He walked with the Lord. He had a conviction and he didn't falter from these things. And look at what it says in verse 12. He's preaching again and I love this. Many of them now in this synagogue, they believed and not a few Greek women of high standing as well as the men. Sounds amazing. I'm reporting back to you what's happened. Verse 13, it gets crazy again. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul in Berea, they came there too, agitating and staring up the crowds. You can read this and say, oh man, these guys are a pain in the rear end, but you know how radical this is? This is 50 miles away, and they didn't have skateboards, bikes, or cars, or Ubers, or everything else we have nowadays. 50 miles away. That's like when I posted last night, guys, I'm with W Church, come hang out if you're in the area. They seen it and said, really? And they started walking from San Diego last night. 
They called up the bounty hunters, or, you know, the sons of anarchy, whoever you want to say, and they're on their way right now, and someone's like, Pastor Brian, we should probably leave the building because it's about to get crazy. Paul was used to it. Guys, you start preaching the truth, and you might not see this physically, but in the spiritual realm, this is what takes place. Things begin to happen. And I believe as we look at the world today and we stand in this, the difference is do we walk in this with the grace and mercy of God simply depending on it, amen? And why this is crazy is consider Paul's resume. Paul comes to faith and begins to minister, and there's riot after riot, beating after beating, chaos after chaos. You could write many books today saying this is the wrong way to approach sharing the truth, but I ask you to look at the resume of Scripture. What happened when Aaron and Moses were sent to Pharaoh? The world was flipped upside down. What happened when Elijah went to King Ahab and Jezebel? The world was flipped upside down. Daniel in Babylon, three kings' worlds were flipped upside down, even Joseph in Egypt. We see this throughout the text. Even John the Baptist in the spirit of Elijah makes straight the way. The world was flipped upside down for many of the leaders. If I was to say to us today, what about Christianity today? Is the world still being flipped upside down? Do we shy away from when there's radical things that happen? It says this in verse 14. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. In a nutshell, Paul shows up to a few places, preaches the truth in the synagogue to Jews, God-fearers, many women there that day. Many confessed. Satan got mad. Man got mad, kicked them out, attacked them, tried to maul them, put them in prison, and he went about again and again and again. Now the Apostle Paul, who it was me, I mean, I had an amazing time at camp this week, blessed by these kids, the conversations. I mean, 12 years old, barely figuring out how their face looks, braces and hair here, cows, licks and everything, you know, fishing rods. And I'll tell you, this is funny. I told these kids I could fish and I can't fish. I said, guys, I'm going to take you fishing. And the one little kid, he wanted to fish all week. I went with him to fish by the lake. He caught one fish and he handed it to me. And he ran around to go in the lake to get it. And he has Crocs on. And he jumps in the mud to get the fish, and he gets stuck. <laughs> and his crocs get stuck in the mud. And the leader comes over to see if he's all right. The fish fell off the line. He got out and had to wait three hours for the water to settle to get his shoes back. But God is good, amen. <laughs> I say all that to digress anyway, but I'm saying this. Paul's had this radical journey, and the brothers say, hey, we got to get this guy out of here. We're sending him to Athens. We see a lot in this that really prepping this week speaks to me where I said, wow, Lord, do I see what Paul's feeling? Do I hear the heart of Jesus in this man? Because Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Think about this. It says in verse 15 that those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Paul starts this missionary journey with Barnabas and he bails. He goes with Silas and he leaves these people in other places. Paul doesn't need this whole team around him. What we see by this man is he trusts God to meet and supply every need. What we see by this man is that everywhere he goes, he knows that the Lord is the one who's going to be faithful. I mean, he's showing up to Athens and Athens is the center of the Greek empire. Athens was captured by Rome, given back to the Greeks. And what was Athens known for? It was known for their thinking, their philosophy, and their what? Discussions. Brilliant, beautiful city, still there today. Amazing teachers who were there, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. 
Think about how many times you would go visit there and vacate. Paul has just been beaten, abused, thrown in prison, totally drained, and could say, I'm tapping out for a season. He gets sent to Athens where he could rest, sit back and rejoice. But he sees some of the most beautiful things on earth. He hears some of the most eloquent teaching of the things of this world. He hears all the current issues, and he doesn't just say, I'm good. The Bible talks about him being grieved and immediately he considers the heart of the people in that region and again he is compelled to move and speak. That made me think about Huntington Beach, about Newport Beach, about Liverpool. That made me think if Paul walked in here or sat with me tomorrow as he looks around downtown Huntington and where I may surf or where I may go do this and do that. He isn't satisfied in the comfort of what we see and what we have and what we enjoy the kind of speaks more to the flesh than the spirit. Paul in Acts 17 to me is shaken to the core for his fellow man and he lifts up Christ over and over and over as he said, imitate Christ. And you might hear that and say, Brian, well, what can I do? You don't need to start a riot, amen? You don't need to get thrown in prison. We don't need to do the craziest things and have our names written all over the place, how radical we are, but here's the reality. Where you work, who is in your family, who you interact with, All you need to do is exactly what Paul did, is share that gospel, share that truth. I talked with a guy today, and I won't put this in the second episode today, so it's not online, so I'll share with you, but a guy I just really met who's super known in the skate world, having the hardest time going through some things with his dad. And he was messaging me, and I messaged him even in the car. And I said, if you knew your dad was leaving this earth in seven days, what would you want to tell him? Because at some time, your dad is leaving the earth. At some time, seven days later, Jesus is coming back. At some time, you will be leaving the earth. And he wrote me this long text. I sat and prayed, and he really just came back to the faith, amen. I need to sit with him, tell him that I love him, tell him that I care, lay out the gospel. If you ask people how well they love someone and you focus on the reality of eternity, it cuts through all the you know what. Cuts through all the chaos in our lives. From my moment, she was passing away right in front of me. Mom, I cannot heal you. Only Jesus can do this. And if he doesn't, do you know the Lord? We are living in that hour. Guys, end times, all the rest of it. I don't push any of that. I love it, but we're meant to live as an end times generation. He goes into Athens, says, who can I reach? So for you and me, where do we go with this? Well, Paul preached and we see that some believed. We see that Greeks believed. We see that not a few of the leading women believed. And so you know who God would like to see in our lives believe? Whoever we know. Whoever's in my life, whoever is in your life. David Livingston said this, I am prepared to go anywhere as long as it is moving forward. Can I have just the worship team come up for a moment? I just want to kind of pray and charge us, and then we're going to take communion. Amen. Pastor Brian said, you know, maybe many people were away. The camp up is in whom? And as I went through this again, it's more teaching. But reading these texts, it's hard to miss the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the miraculous things. And we could hear these texts and say, man, little old me, what am I doing? But guys, the Bible says of you and me, we are a chosen generation, royal priesthood, we're holy. We have the Spirit of God in us. We have the power of God in us. The, the missionaries you guys send out, the people you interact with daily, all of these things, all we simply need to do is to testify to the things of God. I just want to pray over us for a moment, then we're going to take communion. God, I pray over the W. I pray over tonight. I pray over God 
us as your sons and daughters. Hey, Lord, that you would just speak to us mightily and how great a salvation we have, nothing but the blood of Jesus. But Lord, in the here and now, we have lived lives of, of comfort. We know what we like, what we like to watch, what we like to go, what we like to do. And God, you want us to enjoy those things, but Lord, there is a broken and shattered world People are even more angry this weekend. And even if their life is perfect, God, they still don't know you. So I pray, Lord, that even as Pastor Brian is away, sending me videos of him listening to Great Glory today, minister to him. Even as we are sitting here on a beautiful Sunday, God, in this air-conditioned building, God, there's nothing wrong with that, but give us the eyes of Paul because he imitated you so he would see as you see Jesus. And God, I just pray for the anointing that is on your people, God, for boldness, for laborers. The harvest is ripe. People are a confession away from eternity. God, I thank you, Lord, for the life of the Apostle Paul, for Silas, for the apostles. But Lord, it's because of the Holy Spirit of whom we have. And God, as we just close out the middle of Acts 17, would you speak to us this week? Help us to be bold. Help us to share. Help us to testify. Because, Lord, today is the day of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, hope that did encourage. You know, it's funny because as I jump in, okay, we're in Acts 17. Paul's got a couple missionary journeys going, but you see how he reasoned, explained, proved, and focused completely on Jesus Christ, who he is, what he did, what his aim is in this world, all empowered by the Holy Spirit, trusting God to meet and supply his every need. To you and I, we should be saying, okay, Lord, it's no different. The same things that were in place for Paul are in place for you and I. We have the same access to the Father. We have the same ways we can live out our lives. I say all that to say thank you, guys. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us, you and I, if we believe, it's the power of God. Thank you for your prayers, for your sharing. For those of you who are following me, my website's about to drop. I have traveled on so much ministry lately. It's been amazing. All of this is raising support through others to allow me to continue to do what I'm doing. So if you feel connected to what I'm doing, this ministry, you want to come along and pray and even partner financially, go over to briansummer.net for more. Appreciate you all. Thank you. See you soon. <laughs>